Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at cclo.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. Pastor Nick is, uh, he is in Topeka, Kansas, the beautiful uh, flatness of Topeka, Kansas. If you're from Topeka, I'm so sorry. Uh, he is officiating a wedding, uh, or he did yesterday, of a former student of his and youth group. And so that's where the Pierce family is. And so I get the honor and privilege of uh, teaching from God's word this morning. And so um, I, I had some, some notes uh, that I was going to, you know, when when the boss is away, the mice will play, so to speak, that I, I was going to say um, about Nick. And I thought, no, this is, this, this is God's house. We're going we're gonna to teach the word of God, and we're not going to poke fun at Pastor Nick. So I'm not going to talk about his baldness and that I have more hair than he does. I'm not going to do it. Um, nor am I going to talk about that I'm better looking than he is. I'm not going to do it. I, just, I refuse to do that. This is the Lord's house. This is the word of God. This is a serious moment in time. So we're just, I deleted that out of my notes. We're going to let it go. And we're just going to focus on the word of God this morning. The word of God alone and not poking fun at Pastor Nick. I am never going to preach again after this. He's, <laughs> he texted me first service and goes, how do you think it went? And I said, uh, you obviously haven't listened to it because uh, you probably wouldn't have let me up on uh, stage second service if you had. So... No, I, I really am. I'm honored and privileged to be able to stand here as we continue uh, in our study in Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those to Revelation chapter 5 or your digital devices, your phones, your iPads. Just make sure you're not playing games or going to Facebook because the Lord knows. He knows. And I, I can kind of see up here. So, um, But go ahead and open to Revelation chapter 5. It's where we're going to spend our time together here this morning we're doing all of chapter 5, so uh, we have a decent amount of work to do to get through uh, all of Scripture, and so uh, we're going to read it together, uh, the whole thing, um, so that we have context, so we understand as we begin to break it down as we walk verse by verse through it. But I want to read all of chapter 5 together, and then we'll discuss what the Lord will have for us here this morning. Romans chapter 5, starting obviously in verse 1. Then I saw... In the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So Pastor Nick led us through Revelation chapter four last week where we were uh, introduced to the throne room and the focus of chapter four was the throne and him who sits on the throne and then uh, we were introduced to the elders as the representation of the church already taken away and so we pick up here in verse five and there's this shift away from the throne so to speak onto what is in the hand of him who sits on the throne. And it's a scroll. We see obviously right there, straight out of the gate in verse one, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on, a uh, on the throne, a scroll. And there's some distinct characteristics about this scroll. Because we see as the verse continues that this scroll was written on, sorry, the scroll was written within and on the back and it was sealed with seven seals. So this, th this, this scroll has a lot of information on it. A, a normal scroll is written on the inside and then rolled up to kind of preserve the contents of the writing on the inside. And so when you open the scroll, then you can read what is on. But there's something different about this scroll because we are told that not only is there writing on the inside, but there's writing on the outside of this scroll as well. And this scroll is sealed seven times with seven seals. It's not uh, seven individual scrolls sealed one time each. It's one scroll packed full of information sealed seven times. So a string with a dollop of uh, wax um, is what sealed, what made that seal. And so we also have to understand the context and the time period because obviously as we're sitting here today, we have printed books we have, we have digital devices. Um, I don't know when the last time you opened a scroll was or even had access to a scroll, but I'm going to assume no. <laughs> Not recently or ever for, for that matter. Um, but in this, in this time period, scrolls were a normal thing. But a scroll that was chocked full of information, such as we see here in Romans 5, Romans, goodness gracious, Revelation 5, a scroll that is sealed seven times, this is a different scroll. And in the Roman culture, a scroll that's sealed seven times is a will. A, a scroll that was uh, penned out by a person living, then rolled up and sealed seven times, and then upon their death, those seals were broken. The scroll is open to reveal the contents on the inside and whatever was written shall be and shall go forth. So we find here right out of the gate, very, very few verses into Revelation chapter five, the scroll that we have, that we see that is in the right hand of him who is seated on the, scroll, on the throne is the final settlement of affairs of the universe. This is God's will. It's his last will and testament 
The writings of the known universe have been put into this scroll, and that's why it's so chocked full of information. We have God's will. Literally, his final settlement of affairs for the known and unknown universe. And he's holding it in his right hand. But very quickly in verse 2, uh, we're introduced to this problem. Because verse 2 says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? It continues on in verse 3, And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. We have a huge problem. Who is the one that's going to break this seal or break these seals? Open it up and then read the contents. And we see right here, right off the bat, the, the descriptor that John is writing is not like, this wasn't like a, a little game of hide and go seek to find who is worthy. Because we see right there in verse 3, and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. A better way to put it is the entire universe was searched to no avail. But, this is where it gets good. Because in verse 5, we see that one of the elders says to John, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll in its seven seals. In just a moment of transparency, this is what frustrates me about the Bible. And probably the way that the Lord created me. Because upon reading that, the, the, the place that my mind goes to is, Okay, did, did, did the Lord just appear? Was, was he on the throne already? What, what is going on? I want to know the context of every little detail of what is happening, and we don't see that. We just know that, that John's focus was moved from weeping loudly because no one had been found worthy to here is the one who is worthy, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who has conquered so that he can open the scroll and break its seals. It's as if John's focus had, had moved or needed to be shifted. My, my, if you don't know me, um, or you're not friends with me on any social media platform, because you would have seen this over the last couple weeks, uh, my family loves to be outdoors. We love to hike. And when I say my family, I really mean me, and then I drag the rest of my family behind, because my wife is what you would call indoorsy, um, her idea of a vacation is like a big mansion on the beach. So she could walk from the mansion to the beach and then back to the mansion. My idea of vacation is like find myself in a tent in the mountains and hiking. And so, I know, I, I love it. But we got to go on like our dream trip uh, two years ago right before I got hired. We went to, um, let's see if I can remember, uh, 17 days. Uh, we did uh, Mount Rushmore, Glacier National. We were supposed to do Yellowstone. We did, and we did Grand Tetons. And in those 17 days, we stayed in the campground twice. We boondocked it the rest of the time. No hookup, no bathroom. We had a bathroom, but never mind. Just <laughs> let your mind wander. Um, we parked on the mountainside in Grand Tetons. We parked in Forestry Roads and Glacier National. And I got to do one of my dream hikes in Glacier National. And the name of the, the, name of the trail is the Highline Trail. Um, and it's literally about a two and a half foot wide at best. A section that is carved into the side of a mountain. So mountain to the peak, 
and then just a sheer drop off to your impending doom should you fall um, or trip or whatever. And so we had Leighton, our oldest at the time, and I had our hiking backpack on, so she was back there just living it up, living it up while I'm sweating and hiking and she's just getting backpacked all over the place. But as I'm doing this hike, I'm having to look at the ground before me because I don't know what may be in the way. I need to be very focused at what's right here. But I also know that every time I glance up when I can, that there is beauty, like insurmountable beauty that goes as far as my eyes can see. And unless I stop and hold on to something and turn and look, I I might miss out. And so this is where my brain goes. I'm wondering if John finds himself in the throne room and there's just so much going on that, that he is, he's in this moment, but he's focused on the loudest thing in the room, this mighty angel proclaiming who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll. And it's, it's one of the elders that has to say, weep no more, here he is. But we see that this, this title that is given, Lion of the Tribe of Judah, the Root of David, it's a, it's a messianic title because as, as John looks, what he doesn't see seated on the throne is a lion. And all of its power and all of its beauty and all of its authority, what does he see instead? A lamb. The furthest thing you can get animal-wise from a lion, he sees a lamb. It's, It's not really encouraging. I like to think of the Lord as a roaring lion. A lamb doesn't do much for me. But there's some descriptors, just as we see about the scroll, there are some descriptors about this this lamb that makes it different than a lamb that we would be accustomed to seeing. The the first thing that we see uh, in verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, and here's the first one, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all of the earth. This lamb has the markings of having a previous sacrifice placed on it. This lamb, you can see the scars of a previous sacrifice, which would almost lend us to want to feel pitiful towards the lamb or sorrowful towards the lamb as if you had seen an injured animal on the side of the road or a dog or cat in your neighborhood that is like not well, and you go, aw. That is not what happens here. Because even though this lamb has the, the markings on it from a previous sacrifice, the most revelation thing that we see about this lamb is it has seven horns and seven eyes. Spot on revelation. That, that's about as good as we can get in revelation with weird. Why seven horns? Why seven eyes? Horns lend themselves to power and authority. Eyes to wisdom and knowledge. And so here, this this lamb that we have that have the markings of a previous sacrifice represent the perfect power and authority and wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. And when when you put all of these things together, 
We have the perfect power and the perfect wisdom to execute the will of God. His final settlement, his final statement of the affairs of the universe. And then something happens in verse 7. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated at the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowlfuls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And, and this transfer of the scroll, something immediate and incredible happens. Worship begins to break out. How do we know that worship begins to break out? Because it's basically the rest of chapter 5. Because at the end of, at the, sorry, at verse 9 it said, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. But this song of worship is a continuation of worship that has already started, and we see it, we saw it last week. We see it in chapter 4, verse 11, so flip back over or look back over at chapter 4, verse 11, because this, the song that we're introduced for the first time of worship is the song of creation, and we hear it in verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Pay attention. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This song of creation is sung to the one who is worthy because only he can create. And only he creates that which is and has existed. And then we pick up again here in chapter 5 and verse 9, a different song, a new song. It's the song of redemption. It's, it's a song of redemption, and we see that this song, just like the first one, starts with what? Worthy. Worthy are you. And you'll notice that every song of worship begins with worthy are you. To put into perspective the one who is worthy, the one who deserves to be seated on the throne, the one who is not like you and I. And then in verse, uh, in verse 11, we see another similar thing. Except this time, it's not, uh, it's not an elder that has to, to refocus John, because John then says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. So if you could just imagine for a second, let's just use this room, sorry, upstairs and online, you guys use whatever room you're sitting in, but in, in this room, wherever you're sitting, in this room, that there are walls on all four sides. You guys are seated within the walls on all four sides. John looks up, focused on what is happening in between the walls. And surrounding, 
surrounding everything that's going on, surrounding the throne, surrounding the elders, and surrounding the four living creatures, there are, there are angels for as far as the eye can see, myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. To put into to scope and context, this is like trying to do the number 10,000 times itself without a calculator. Or an abacus, is that what it was called? Yeah, in an abacus. This would be like trying to do that math on your own or trying to hand count the number of angels. Like it's an uncountable number that, that has surrounded everything that is going on. And, and John looks up and, and he, he notice. It, it says, I heard around the throne. I heard, I heard something different going on. You ever, have you ever been privied? Uh, like you're in the middle of a conversation, but there's other people talking and like something that that conversation says kind of grabs your attention. It almost is like, oh, what, what are they talking about? It's as if that's going on where John's like, and what's going on around now joined in with the already praise in action. All of these angels, look at verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Every song begins with worthy. To put into rightful place the placement and the position, the power and the authority of the one who sits on the throne is not you or I for good reason. Because you or I have not paid a previous price. We have not beat death because there will come a day when we will all die and we will not beat death in our physical bodies. The language that is used in, in these, uh, these worship songs, these worship sayings, put into perspective why and how the one who is worthy has come to that rightful place. As I was uh, working on, on my message, I read through a bunch of commentaries just to get as much scope and understanding as I possibly could. Um, because if I can be very transparent with you, um, I grew up in the church. Um, I went to Bible college. The book of, the book of Revelation absolutely, I'm absolutely terrified by it. I knew months ago that Nick was going to be gone. He walked in the studio and said, hey, uh, I'm going to be gone. Can you preach for me? And I said, no. <laughs> and he said, I wasn't asking you. That was more of a, a statement. And I said, okay, looks like I'm preaching. And this internal turmoil began to just uh, destroy me. Because even though I'd grown up in church, even though I'd gone to Bible college, the one book that I have stayed as far away from is the book of Revelation. Because when I think of the book of Revelation, I think probably exactly what comes to your mind. Doom, gloom, end times, weird looking animals, beasts, death, I was absolutely petrified, and so I was not looking forward, not only to not preaching, I just wasn't looking forward to walking through the book of Revelation as a church. I wasn't. 
And then Nick gets up in, in the first week in the introduction to Revelation, and he says the most audacious thing and it went something like this. The book of Revelation is a book of hope and encouragement for the believer. And in my mind, and what I wanted to stand up and shout out, that's the most heretical thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Have you read the book of Revelation? We have a lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. Like, that alone is the... Re and I just began to pray, Lord, you're going to have to do a work in my life because I am not ready or prepared not only to teach, but I don't know that I'm ready to walk through the book of Revelation. Because I think there were a lot of well-intentioned people throughout my Christian life in settings like this, on stages like this, in Sunday school classrooms, even in Bible college classrooms, that spent more time telling me their view and opinion of Revelation rather than actually teaching on the book of Revelation. And as Pastor Nick so beautifully puts it, we want the word of God and the character of God to be the interpretation and the lens by which we read scripture. We don't read our agendas into it. We don't read our lifestyles into it. No, it is what reads us. And that should be slightly terrifying. That this living, breathing book that we have is reading me as I choose to, to dig and dive into it. And so as I put my big boy pants on and started to dive into Revelation, I begin to see that Revelation is a book of hope and encouragement for those that call themselves believers, for those of us that are apprentices of Jesus, this is a book of hope and encouragement, not of condemnation. This is a book the world should be terrified of. This is not a book that you and I should be terrified of. And in, in my preparation, I came across... a. Uh, a commentary as I was trying to find people that I know would, would probably affirm a, a belief or position I would take, but also to go to those I know for a fact that, that wouldn't take that same position. Um, I came across, uh, one of my favorite commentaries is Matthew Henry. And I came across his commentary and he said this, and it's the most beautiful picture of what is going on up to this point in Revelation. He says, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated at the throne, not by violence nor by fraud, but he prevailed to do it. He prevailed by his merit and his worthiness, and he did it by the authority and by the Father's appointment. God willingly and justly put the scroll of his eternal counsels into the hand of Christ, and Christ as readily and gladly took it into his hand, for he delights to reveal and do the will of his Father. Which is the same position that you and I as believers should take, to delight, to reveal and do the will of the Father even if it cost us something, even if it cost us everything. How in the world is Revelation a book of hope and encouragement? How in the world is worship going on in the throne room? Because the one who is worthy has taken the will of God and he's ready to enact it. 
And he hasn't taken it by force. He hasn't taken it um, by manipulation. Caesars will come and go. Kings will come and go. Rulers will come and go. Government will come and go. Presidents will come and go. Whole nations will come and go. But as we're going to see here in a little bit, the way that Revelation, almost at the very end, at the end of 13, one of the last things that is said when all of creation joins in is be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. But don't be that person. Don't read ahead. That's not where we're at. Because we've got to go back and get up to there. Because in verse 13, one more thing happens. The angels have joined in, in the song and the chorus. And then we see in verse 13, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So there's two things that happen here. The deity is put on full display because if you read quickly through it, you may have missed it, but right at, uh, in the middle of 13, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. So we are ascribing blessing, we are ascribing honor and glory and might forever and ever to the one who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And then we finish with forever and ever because only the one who is worthy will sit on the throne forever and ever and reign forever and ever. There is but one kingdom that will reign forever and ever. No government, no king, no ruler, no principality, will reign forever except our gods. When the final statement of affairs in God's will is pronounced, the only kingdom and the only one that reigns forever and ever without creation and will continue to is the Lord. And we see that here in the wrapping up of this worship And this is, this is where I get the hope of revelation. Is that no matter what it costs me, here, July 30th, Sunday morning, I'm going to worship. And I can only imagine the sound of worship that is happening right now in the throne room. As, as John is describing all of these things that are going on and happening. As I think of, about that, I'm very quickly reminded, more like a two by four across the back of the head from the Lord, so gently reminded, that we get to experience that every moment of our life. We get to experience that every Sunday that we walk into this room and we sing songs together as we gather together as the body of, of faith, as we sing songs that we may or may not know, we get to experience that same kind of praise and worship week in and week out.
but how many of us show up and the thing that we run to is the furthest thing from worship? I might step on toes. I'm not sorry. The room's too hot. The room's too cold. It's too loud. It's not loud enough. That song's too fast. That song's too slow. I don't like the version of the Bible that he preaches from. We have placed preference of worship over the actual heart of worship for the one who is worthy who sits on the throne. Because the immediate reaction of worship when, when the scroll is handed off, when the affairs of the universe is about to be broken open and read is what? Worship. When our life is falling apart, our, our preference doesn't matter. What matters is that we worship. What matters is that we have a heart of reverence to the one who is worthy. And I say that because I've been that person. Well, I don't like that song. I don't like that, the tempo or that beat. I would prefer if worship looked and sounded like this. The Lamb of God who has the markings of a previous sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus hanging on a cross for you and for me. To be the propitiation, the, the replacement of the punishment that we so deserve. And I continually am flabbergasted by the Lord. I don't know why, but as, as we were planning and and preparing, like this has been almost a year of work, like how are we gonna navigate to get to the book of Revelation? So we've known we've been doing Revelation for a long time. And if you've been around Calvary for any amount of time, you know that at the end of every month, we, we, we partake, partake in what? Communion. As the body, we take communion together. We, we look back and we remember the sacrifice that was paid on the cross for your sin and my sin as we look forward to what awaits us as we reign forever and ever in the kingdom that is ours that the Lord has graciously given to us. And as I was studying, preparing, and then it finally hit me like, oh my gosh, I'm preaching and I have to do communion. Like these two things coincide on the same day. I was incredibly humbled at going, why does that surprise me? Why am I caught off guard by that? As if the Lord didn't already know and didn't already have placed in time that this morning as we talk about the lamb who was slain, as we talk about the lamb who has seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the perfect power and wisdom of God, has those markings that we come this morning to the table of communion to look back and remember what was done for you and for me as we look forward to what awaits us for all eternity. It's not a coincidence. It's not by accident. It's, it's by God's perfect will and design. And so this morning, as a church, we are going to take communion. Online, it's gluten-free bread and it's juice. Go get whatever you have in your cupboard 
that represents gluten-free or extra gluten, bread, cracker, and something for the juice. And we're going to take communion together this morning. Now, there's some logistical things that we have to navigate. The room is quite full, and so here's how we're going uh, We're going to kind of do this is we're going to start on the sides. Guys are going to walk up, grab your elements, and then come down this middle rows and go back to your seat, okay? Listen, I don't want to point anybody out, but inevitably every time we do this, there's always somebody who wants to grab their elements and then go back to their seat like, ta-ta, like I'm in the first two rows. Don't be that person. It ruins it for everybody else. Don't swim upstream. The Lord doesn't like it. He told me, just follow the stream, go back to your seat. It actually does. It does make a huge difference. When the outside's done, we'll move to the inside. You guys go out, grab your elements, back up to your seat. And then middle, we don't really know what to do with you. So you kind of the hodgepodge. So we're just going to say like, split yourselves however you want to, walk out, grab your elements, and then come back to your seat. And once you have your elements, we're going to take them together. As we do this process, we're going to worship. We're going to worship because that's what's demanded of us, and that's what we need. And I'll encourage you in this way. As a kid who grew up in the church that's been to Bible college, I sat where you are currently sitting. Many a times taking communion because it was the thing that was on the schedule. It was the duty and the obligation to do whatever was set before me. And so I sat through and waited for the worship team to get done with the song that I didn't like in the room that was too hot and I wanted to get out of here because my stomach was hungry and I wanted to go eat. Don't be me. Don't be me. Don't waste an opportunity this morning. The honor and the privilege that we have as a family of faith to look back at what was done for us. Don't cheapen what was done on the cross. Don't cheapen the glory that awaits us in heaven by sitting here and looking at your watch ready to go to whatever else you have planned for the day. And I know that sounds slightly aggressively angry, and it is. Because I'm angry at myself that for 33 years there have been times that I have found myself sitting in a seat cheapening and tarnishing what was done for me on the cross of Calvary. How dare I not find myself in a place of gratitude and thanks overflowing in worship for the one who is worthy and is currently sitting on the throne. And so I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to get off the stage, and you're going to grab your elements, and we're going to worship. We're going to worship the one who is worthy and is sitting on the throne, and then we're going to take communion together.